The OneStream Global Education Services team proudly presents the OneStream Podcast with your host, Peter Fugere. Greetings, fellow OneStreamers, and welcome to the OneStream Podcast, where we explore and examine all things OneStream, talk to experts in the industry, and gain knowledge from some of the brightest minds that help deliver and implement solutions for our clients. This episode is part of the OneStream Expert Series, where we explore and examine the fundamental concepts, tools, and topics surrounding OneStream. I'm your host, Peter Fugere, Chief Solutions Officer at OneStream Software, and as always, I'm excited to bring this discussion and grateful to welcome Todd Renard, Distinguished Architect, Sam Richards, Architect. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Good to be here. I'm really excited you guys are both on. I thought today we'd get a chance to talk about analytic services. Sounds great. Well, let's start. Let's dig into it then. What is analytic services? What does that mean? And and I think more importantly, where is this term coming from? Some of our listeners might be familiar with this concept, but under a different name. And And let's just start with that. Analytic services, what is it? So analytic services is actually the, I would say, is the brainchild of Tom Shea. That's really where the term came from. And uh, initially what ended up happening was uh, several years ago, he created a a really good product within the tool uh, that he called BI Blend. So legacy-wise, a lot of people know it as BI Blend or the BI Blend engine. And really, as, as OneStream continued to innovate its technology and, and expanded its footprint, we started to grow into this um, area that, that it's kind of new territory, if you will, like CPM Plus. And CPM Plus, and, and I know, Peter, you'll probably touch upon this in a little bit, uh, you know, not only includes stuff like your analytic services or analytic blend engine, but it also includes things like your sensible ML, Right. And so initially with Analytic Blend, it was an opportunity for our customers to continue to vertically align the OneStream platform. You know, it's a true platform. Craig always evangelizes software on software. And this allowed our customers the opportunity to start looking at things that were more operationally driven within their business. So financial signal, right? Weekly forecasts. And so in order for us to kind of basically educate the masses, new customers, existing customers, partners, we decided to, as a group, myself and Sam were both part of a cohort, where uh, it was decided that Tom Tom Shea's uh, new uh, title of analytic services, we were going to go ahead and put guardrails around it and educate the masses. So I think I think that's important, you know, a, important point. I want to just sort of underline it, Todd. BI blend, well, that might have been an okay uh, explanation for, you know, kind of what we do with that relational table. BI means a lot of things to different people, and I probably confused, confused some folks. And analytic services, I think, well, I guess when we're looking at it, it I think it makes a lot more sense, you know. Um, and I mean, is that fair? No, it's absolutely fair. I think uh, the, the term BI has been thrown around by not just our organization, but many organizations for years, and it means something different to different people. But the whole idea behind reporting and analytics, especially big data and analytics, you know, this analytics services allows us to encompass the the engine that's driving it. So BI blend engine is the true engine that is driving it. But when we look at what the software is doing, it's creating things like an analytical data store. It's It's got an analytic services engine 
right? So we're not using the term BI at all anymore. And, and we do, we're doing that because it's so much more than that. So when you think about, a, you know, a, a, just a basic BI tool, it usually, you know, harvests information, allows you to create some dashboards. Well, as our customers know, we've got a great tool within OneStream that allows us to build that BI-like content. But it's not necessarily just that. It's also we're cleansing and enriching information that will vertically align to extensible models that are built inside of OneStream. So information that we don't necessarily want to put into a cube, as Peter mentioned earlier. So the whole concept behind analytic services, analytic services, you know, uh, from from a, you know, a, an actual functional perspective is really to kind of encompass, as I even mentioned earlier, stuff that is more soft, operational in nature, allows us to harvest the history to predict the future with other offerings like Sensible ML. So, uh, you know, I, I think the idea is, is that the term BI, BI blend, it's gone. It's all about analytic services. It's about CPM plus. It's about um, steering the business, as marketing would say, and allowing our users a more, um, I would say, a faster ROI to a more lean type of forecasting solution. And that's not just obviously your your frequencies of monthly, quarterly, yearly, as as we discussed earlier. It's also about your weekly forecasts. So um, that's what analytic services covers. I think that's a good uh, that's a good overview. I think that's um, a good discussion about it. I mean, you know, I, I taking a step back a little bit. I think you know the relational tables that we use for for the data loading. You know, effectively, I mean, if you think about one stream in the basic, you know, that that early sort of diagram where you show the relational tables, the data goes in, it gets mapped and scrubbed and then and then gets pushed to the cube. The relational tables really have always been there to protect the cube right from, you know, transactional data nonsense. I mean, just the volumes that really either, you know, would overwhelm the cube or really don't make sense, don't lend themselves to a hierarchy. I always think of something like people planning. And then, you know, if you're using those relational tables and, you know, doing something, I don't know, doing some analysis, some calculations in those tables, and then bringing that, marrying that with the cubes, we always called that, you know, sort of a relational blend, you know, but the idea of CPM plus, I mean, now we're actually giving giving those uh, relational tables and interfaces, uh, you know, identifying them as solutions, you know, and seeing that uh, come together. And I think, I think that's the big change is that sort of recognizing like, yeah, okay, we've got a relational table here and I guess it's a blend, but I think more importantly, like people planning, that's a solution. You've said uh, sensible machine learning, that's a solution. And you certainly wouldn't try to put that data into a cube, um, one, because you, you wouldn't get any added benefit. And then two, it, it, it probably doesn't, it's not the right place for it, right? Right. So, so Peter, we're not looking to, to replicate processes like order to cash, procure to pay. What we're trying to do is we're trying to cleanse and enrich and align extensible information. So the example I think that you gave with people planning is a, is a good example, at least from the relational blend side and how it started. It was... It was basically like, look, here's all my comp and benefits information that's inside of a cube, and, I, and it's my comp and benefits forecast. But if I want to be able to see who the belly buttons are, who the individuals are that roll up to make these numbers, 
I have that information stored relationally. So with analytic services, it's it's a situation where you're basically tact- tactfully going and finding certain pieces of information that you'd like to know more on, that you're not necessarily needing to load into a cube, i.e. the reason I always use ordered cache is because a lot of customers struggle with things like master data management as it relates to customers, as it relates to SKUs. And that information doesn't necessarily reside in a cube. But in an extensible modeling situation, what you can do is you can create a true customer master for things like to do a, a daily aging, a weekly cash collections forecast, and you can use the analytic services model and its data store, which is a completely separate SQL Azure database, to handle large volumes of transactions to cleanse and enrich and align them to the master data that lives inside your OneStream application. So all you're doing is, once again, you're extending beyond the cube into information that has been cleansed and enriched to allow you to help steer the business. And I think, I think the other thing that's great about OneStream, too, I mean, from an end user perspective, it's not obvious that you're where you're looking at the data, right? Correct. They're agnostic. Users are agnostic, right, when they're interacting with the data because it's either through a dashboard. We offer other great techniques like, uh, you know, Sam will tell you about things like table views, and I use table views as well. I think it's a really great uh, interface for column and row type of Excel-based reporting or spreadsheet-based reporting on, you know, data sets where you're passing along a lot of filters or query filters. Um, in, in addition to that, I think it's important to remember that, you know, Peter made a really great point. Tom, Tom, we always talk about Tom being a genius and he's always thinking like 10 steps ahead of everybody else. Analytics services is the exact same process as the original OneStream ETL process that we came out with 11 plus years ago. So what do I mean by that? So when I'm currently trying to create an analytics services model, I'll have an external connection that has been defined, set up in the cloud, either through SICK or a legacy process. And from there, I'm basically bringing that in through a, 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 a data adapter connector. I'm then using the data source process to kind of model out exactly what I want to see. I then um, create some transformation rules, and then I assign both of those pieces to a workflow. And it's just another workflow that you're running, and when you execute the analytics services model, all it's doing is it's pulling all of those large-flying transactions in, it's running it against the transformation rules that you've defined, and it's publishing the output of that information to an external database. But the process in which you're doing the ETL and the build process, you don't need to go and learn any new skills, right? It's all vertically integrated and it looks similar to the very first thing you learned as, a, as an administrator for one stream, which is how do I take a data source or take a flat file, take whatever, how do I model it out? What's the, you know, I call it the secret decoder ring, the transformation rules that are associated with it. I then assign it to work for a profile and then I hit import, validate, look. You know, Sam, I'm, I'm th- you know, we've been on projects and we've done some designs together and worked on some projects. Let's talk about this a little bit. So everything Todd's laying out sounds interesting, but I come in, you know, I'm a customer, let's say I'm getting ready to think about my design, where my data is going to be. How do I think about what belongs in the cube versus what belongs in, you know, my my analytic tables? Yeah, I mean, one one common point 
or one common way, should I say, to look at the data is whether it's transient data or not. And what I mean by transient data, is it all the time getting updated? Is there all the time new members coming in? Is it like, for example, to people planning, there's all the time new heads, new people coming in, people leaving the company. The metadata is constantly changing. That's always my first step. You don't really want transient metadata inside of your queue because you're going to have to maintain that. And then it it grows rapidly. You get a, a sparse data model and it doesn't perform like you're wanting it to. So the first step is to look at what type of metadata is it. The the second step that I always kind of look at is what or how is the user interacting with the data? Are they interacting with it at all or is it just informing it, right? So is it more of a, hey, I need to get some more insight on how actuals are coming in for something to inform a forecast, so those are the those are my first two points of how I will look at it to see. All right, yeah, this this will be done in the cube, or no, this is going to go out in some sort of analytic services type solution. So what I if I'm loading in that data from a source and it's transient, transient slash transactional, right? These large volumes of of things, maybe like SKUs or contracts or or something like that. That's that's that makes sense. What about if I if if I want to budget at that level, or if I'm trying to like interact with the data, mm-hmm. is that something I should be thinking about in one stream? You can. Um, so more than likely still, that's going to be taken out into more of a, a relational style solution, like a people planning, a trans, uh, a specialty planning, which can be like a transact skew planning. Like you can call it kind of whatever you want to call it, but it's still going to be more of a relational based approach or table based approach versus something that would be inside of the queue. And let me ask you guys both this question. I'm I'm curious what you guys think. I have my my opinion so I'll, but I'll keep it to myself for this. I'll just ask the question. You know, when I'm loading data from a source system, you know, what's what's the benefit? Where do I you know obviously if I'm if I'm pushing it ultimately through to a cube, so I'm getting that sort of this unified, integrated uh, flow of the data, right? I could see, you know, for my budget, my forecast, I could see the high level where I need to be and I get that great slice and dice. I can look at the numbers and I'm drilling back. You know, I could see the transactional. What's the right level of data to go back to? Meaning, you know, is there an intermediate aggregation in my analytic tables or do I just pull straight from the ledger? How do you guys think about that? I mean, it, it, it kind of comes back to I, I often start with what what kind of reporting are they doing today? right? And where's the data sitting at today? So, and how are they managing the business today, right? Um, and how are they think they're going to manage the business in the future? So, what I mean by that is if there is the use case for the aggregation, that's where that engine comes in and performs great. Because what we can actually do is take and perform those aggregations to those given points on that transactional data and still store it relationally to give them that drill down capability to those individual levels while also still having the granular transactions to go all the way down if you need to. So my first question when they start to ask something along those lines is, well, what are you doing today and where are you wanting to go? And then based off of that, we can go, um, kind of down the rabbit hole, if you will. Because the one thing you don't want to do is just say, oh, well, I need everything at every single level. 
and all in one BI blend source. It, it's it's not going to work because when you start to bring in using the BI blend engine, right, or the analytics services engine, you have an explosion factor with data, right? So you always want to be mindful of that. You're always trying to solve the for the the requirement with the least amount of aggregation as possible because of that explosion factor. You could take a 100,000 records and easily make it hundreds of millions of records if you start aggregating a lot of data points across several different dimensions. Yeah, Sam, that's a great point. I mean, w- Peter, when I, I, I don't know how Sam looks at it, but when I'm looking at, say, like all of the, you know, Snowflake schema tables and you've got, you know, your customer master and then you've got your fact tables and all these other different things, I like to leave it in in the in the raw sense as much as humanly possible. What I'm looking for are things like primary keys or some unique IDs that I can bring in and model out in our attributes inside our extensible cubes. But I'm never looking to pre-aggregate that information. And as Sam pointed out, when I'm using the analytical services blend model, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to figure out, okay, what aggregation points, least aggregation points should I be looking for here? And which star schema areas am I looking to, to leverage? Because, you know, the the actual um, analytic services model will publish a star schema model to kind of uh, accommodate the other information that, that you may be joining it back to later. So, you know, I, I think from an aggregation standpoint, you know, same spot on. Don't don't overcomplicate the aggregation model inside of the, the blend engine. Just aggregate what you need to and try and put as much information from a fact perspective out there that can be blown away and the last piece is, which I think is the most important is a lot of people don't think about, is that when you start bringing more of this information into a cube, you then have to make sure you have a process that is airtight to update changes to the master data. It may be to text fields. It may be to um, the attributes themselves. It may be to, you know, calculations. There's a lot of extra stuff that becomes maintenance, and you want your that maintenance to be as lean and mean as possible. So when there are changes, more fluid changes for the soft information, like you know a SKU number may change or a customer number may change or the information about the customer may change, leave it in the source or leave it in this blend model. Don't try to pull it in as part of the master data to publish to a cube, because then all you're doing is is you're you're creating a lot more maintenance associated with the application itself in addition to performance issues. So do you, I mean, the metadata is one thing. I, I agree. And, and I think, you know, when I was talking to about people planning, that's a great example of, you know, where the metadata really, it, it, it's obvious it doesn't belong in a cube. The cubes are built on hierarchies. Employees, you know, if you talk about employees, it doesn't lend itself to a hierarchy, especially over time. People come, they go, they switch jobs, they shared among departments like it, it, it'd be a mess. You know what I mean? So I, that makes a lot of sense. But what about data? Like the data volumes, too, have to be a, a red flag, right? And, and what, what are the good data volumes? What are the right data volumes you should be thinking about in the cube versus what's possible in an analytic services table? What are we talking about? So from, from a cube aspect, right? So, I mean, our, our sweet spot of a data unit is in the 250 to 500,000 rows of data at a 
base level, right? So obviously when you aggregate that up, the NC hierarchy is going to get a little higher because you, you go from a, a little bit, maybe a sparser populated data unit to a, a more dense as you get higher in the hierarchy. Um, now, when you start getting into some of the analytics services side of things, I mean, it, it's, it's in the millions, right? So, I mean, it, it, it really gives you a lot more insight well, what are we what are we talking? Are we talking two million, ten million? What's the volume you guys are seeing? Yeah, so I can give you a great stat. So um, I can I've got a process that's lights out that you leverages workflow channels for order to cash information. I can load uh, five and a half million records in twelve minutes. Wow! Into the blend model and publish it and, and cleanse and enrich it. And I, I've got I have taught you know time and time again. It's our standard cloud. Um, distribution footprint for for the servers, like when the architecture, the logical architecture. So I'm not cheating by ratcheting up my app servers or my con servers or even my where it matters. In this case, is the SQL cluster servers. I'm leaving everything to like here's the 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 standard for one stream. And so you know, I, I look at it as an opportunity to as as you kind of pointed out, Peter, the large volumes of transactions like that shouldn't go into a cube, this is the best way to handle those. And the speed and, and expediency in which it publishes a model that you can then leverage and link through through other tools within one stream, like navigation links, for example, you know, hooking it up to a cube and then leveraging a navigation link to drive the queries against the blend data. That that's the piece that is, I think, is the most powerful. And actually, you know, it's funny, Sam was talking about 250,000 to 500,000. I couldn't agree with you more. I was dealing with a customer recently that, that had 10 million rows in a cube. And they were, you know, basically screaming and yelling, how do I pull this information back? Because, you know, Bob built this really great tool inside of cubes, as we all know, that paginates it or, or builds materialized views, but it's paged, Right. And so the problem was, is that the customer was like, I've got to pull this in pages now, and then I have to reassemble the data to send it to customers. So I couldn't agree with what Sam is saying more. In, in this customer, particular customer situation, they would have benefited significantly from saying, does this really belong in the cube? Could we take a portion of this information and offset it into a custom table or into a relational, uh, or, or relational data store using analytic services? So... So what I'm hearing from you guys is, you know, one should always be considering using analytic services when you're looking at either large data volumes or what, what did you call it, Sam? What, what was the type of data? Transient data, metadata. Transient data. So large volumes, transient data, I should always be considering analytic services for that solution. Uh, change my mind. Am I wrong? <laughs> nope, sounds no, you're good right. to me. You're, you're right. Yeah. And I think the best part of this is it, it's all vertically aligned from start to finish, meaning like you're taking all of that transient data that Sam's talking about, you're cleansing and enriching it, you're linking it up to something that either you know lives in the relational tables through people planning or sales planning or something, or you're even aligning it to directly to the queue. And that that in itself, there's no other platform that does that, Right. 
And and what it does is it makes it really easy for the end user because they're agnostic. They don't know if it's coming from a cube. They don't know if it's coming from relational blend. They don't know if it's coming from analytic services, right? Right. They just want to be able to get to the information as quickly as possible and answer the the questions and move on with their lives. So, I think Todd, if I if I extend that comment now, you know, as we've been talking, you know, sort of just thinking it through to what we're what we're doing with marketplace. Um, and the specialty application team and what they're developing and really how that culminates with CPM plus we, you know, we're going to have these solutions. I mean, really what's happening is we've got a user interface that's totally customizable. We've got this powerful rules engine and now we have the flexibility of what's the right database to build on. Do we want to build on a cube, a, you know, a, a sort of multidimensional cube concept with, with hierarchies, or is it a SQL database that we're, we're building on top of? And I think that gives people who are developing solutions for OneStream, you know, another tool and a lot of flexibility to develop some really exciting stuff. Absolutely. 100%. It should always be part of the conversation from the sales cycle to the you know, where you're, I'm, I'm a little bit older, so ripping the seal off the CD and, and installing it for the first <laughs> time, all the way to the design discussions and the business requirements and the, the functional design to through, you know, QA and go alive. This should always be a part of the conversations. What problems are you trying to solve for? And, and how can we start with, okay, here's the summary version. Here's the more detailed version, drive, you know, driver-based allocations, whatever. And then here's the operational signaling version. And so what ha- what happens if the business changes? I mean, how hard is it to to, you know, reload the data into a relational or or change some of the the hierarchies with that? I mean, how what what what's sort of the impact? That's the beauty of it cuz like Todd mentioned, it, it's just like a, if you were to go in and build out a BI blend engine style load using our BI blend load inside the workflow, it's just like creating another data source that that it, it's not a, a heavy lift to go in and do that. And that that is the the beauty of using that more of a relational style model. Right. Versus uh, a cube based approach. If you just all of a sudden completely change your dimensionality um, across the board, not just adding maybe a dimension in the future, it, it can require a little bit more work. Um, to accommodate that where on the um, on the analytic services side, it's a lot easier because that data is stored relationally. And the example that I give with order to cash, right? I, you know, a lot of our customers want to be able to snapshot their backlog, their orders on a daily basis, but they really only want to retain the end of the week's numbers that are coming out of their system. So where the an- analytical services comes into play, where it's really good within each week, you can do a daily load, right? You can report off of it. You can do everything you want to do. And then analytic services will blow that instance away. So what do I mean by instance? Think about your core data units components. You're talking about workflow profiles, scenario, time, right? And so it's blowing away those intersections and you're reloading the latest and greatest information. Well, when I want to go on to, let's say, week two, I do my final import. I know I'm not going to touch that. It's as of a point in time. Now, because of the scenario modeling that, that I can do inside of one stream where you can do as many scenarios as you want to a data type or to, to a scenario type, right? I can now capture week two and then I start the process over again. Uh, you know, I load day one. 
I blow it away. I load day two, I blow it away. And, and I'm doing the exact same thing. And it's a minimal amount of effort from a metadata perspective because those, those softer uh, pieces or transient pieces that Sam referred to, they're going away each each time and then they're coming back in with the latest and greatest. And for stuff that I'm aligning to the master data inside the, you know, the, the actual cube side of things, how often are you adding a new master customer? How often are you adding a new product family? How often are you adding new vendor masters? So it's stuff like that that you have to sort of walk through your process within your business model and say, okay, what's the lesser of two evils? Because I can map all the instances of a customer I'm getting from 20 different source systems to the single instance that I have inside of one stream, you know, dimension library. And as I get new ones, I just map to it. So that's not a big deal. But, you know, if I blow away the information that supports it and it comes back and it's not used anymore, okay, nothing better, nothing gained. It's just in the transformation table. That's another, that's another design consideration then. I mean, but the way I'm hearing it is, you know, the metadata that you know is going to be more rigid, you want to have in the cube. The data that, the metadata, the, the parents, the roll-ups, the aggregation points that could, that could change, you want in analytic services. Yeah. I would say I would say 100 percent. And then they could change and then there's really no impact. I mean, they, they could update as they come in and uh, you're not, you, you're, you know, to your point, uh, Todd, you made it earlier. It was great. I mean, um, you know, there's less maintenance. It's more sort of a lights out process. It's it's just getting updated on the I think you called it lean and mean, right? Like it's coming right. in and just updating as you need it. And then and then marries beautifully with the data in the queue. So so you bring up a great point, Peter. It's more of an add on is that not all of our customers have fully baked organization, financial, you know, financial systems organizations. It might be one person. The good thing is, is that it's, it's a low learning curve and a low maintenance type of tool once you set it up for whatever purpose you are. So even if you're the lone ranger within your organization that runs one stream, you shouldn't be afraid to, uh, to introduce a concept like analytic services into your business. It'll look like a rock star. And at the same time, it's it's very low maintenance, and that's the key. Yeah, and I think you're you're adding a whole level of of uh, of a dimension of data. You know, I mean, a volume of data, this sort of dynamic aggregation that doesn't make sense in a cube, and it's just a really powerful enhancement enrichment to the data you have. I think that's really what it's about, right? Hundred percent. So, Sam, you, you and I have been talking about some other ways uh, people could pull data and get some visualization of, of some data uh, that not necessarily means loading it in. I mean, tell, tell me about that. What's that about? Yeah, that, that's a great point, Peter. Um, so I know, I know we've hit a lot earlier in this podcast on the engine, using it for aggregations and points, stuff like that, and the, or you're actually loading it to the SQL uh, database that Todd alluded to. Um, there is also the capability and part of analytic services is if you're just trying to get some reporting on tables that may already exist in two different areas of your source system, whether, um, and, and you just don't have any way to do that currently, you can leverage analytic services to do that. Um, for example, in p- past clients is we built visuals where they can come in and track how many invoices people are entering in AP 
and different things like that, just to give them some insights into production and how their business is functioning. Because that information was already in the ERP system. We just went in and queried that table and then actually just used the dashboarding functionality inside of OneStream to do some aggregations and stuff like that for them to give them that information. And it helped them manage the business better. I also want to add to that. I think I think one thing that we didn't even talk about or discover or, or talk, you know, the large pivot grid inside the dashboarding tool is a great mechanism for viewing the analytics services output because you can look at anywhere from four to six million records and use the pivot function to kind of comb through the data that you have in, in an easy way inside of one stream. So, you know, that that's definitely one of the, the tools, I think, that probably doesn't get enough usage, I would say, in the user community for anything that may be relational to be able to kind of slice and dice information quickly before maybe you decide to then, as Peter was saying earlier, come up with a way to aggregate it, forecast it, and perhaps skinny it down and load it into a queue. Another great discussion. Thank you very much for bringing your expertise to the podcast today. And thank you, fellow OneStreamers, for joining us. Remember, if you like this content, please don't forget to subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Questions, comments, or concerns, please reach out at podcast at onestreamsoftware.com. I look forward to bringing you another exciting podcast. And until then, take care, and I'll see you next time on The OneStream Podcast. The OneStream Podcast is brought to you by the OneStream Global Education Services team.